0: Good morning. Good morning, and let's go ahead and begin class with prayer this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study. We thank you for what you have done through Jesus Christ to reveal to us your true character and to provide for us salvation and restoration into the, uh, the uh, original way you've designed humans to be. We pray that uh, this weekend we will come closer to you, understand uh, how you've created this universe to run and cooperate with you for restoration and healing. pray in your holy name. Amen. We're doing lesson number five in the quarterly Christ and His Law, and the title this week is Christ and the Sabbath. But before we actually get into the lesson, I wanted to actually share again a couple of emails that I've received, and some of you may be able to commiserate with some of these because they actually are fairly representative of what I've experienced myself, what I've experienced from people who, all over the world who've been emailed me, but there's just two this morning. It says, um, I've been so blessed the last couple of years listening to your lessons. I've started to use your materials when presenting the lessons to our youth class. The young people are so excited, and some of them, who used to stare down at their feet and weren't interested, started to share some great insights. One friend in particular wanted to be baptized and asked me to do the baptismal class. I've never presented any baptismal classes in my life, so I decided to use some of your material that's on your blog. He was baptized last year and even started teaching the lesson at church. I was so proud and wanted to cry of pure joy when he gave his first sermon this weekend. It was awesome. He used to be totally goth and didn't want anything to do with God before. His girlfriend brought him to our Friday youth of, uh, youth evenings, and there his life started to change. I can't believe it's the same person. God transforming people is real. Have the right pic- having the right picture of God changes uh, changed our youth group. We just have a struggle with our older people in church to understand this message. Although I am an elder, the church board didn't want me to preach anymore. It's all because I'm presenting the natural law and not a legal penal law. Other churches asked me to come and preach at their churches this year. When one door is closed, God opens another. This message must be spread to the whole world. If there is any spelling fault, sorry, English isn't my first language, we would uh, like to know if you could send us 100 copies of the three DVDs from South Africa. Okay. And then this one um, from California. I would like to request all three DVD sets you have offered on your website. I have purchased and read both of Dr. Jennings' books, and they have been a real blessing in my life. The message he presents is a bomb for the soul and a message that I, unfortunately, have never heard preached in our church. I want to pass this information along to my granddaughter. So um, my experience has been that it's very common, that when you start presenting this message, that local leaders will try to silence you. And, and I can't tell you how many people have emailed me and said, I used to teach, but they won't let me teach anymore. I used to preach, they won't let me preach anymore. Sabbath lesson, it says the memory text is, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. To whom was Jesus referring when he said the Sabbath was made for man? To the Jews only? Or to the human race? And then if you think about it, if it was made for the human race, when? Creation week, okay. Okay, and what was the condition of the world when the Sabbath was made? Then, what was its purpose back then? Do we have any evidence that there was a written commandment regarding how to behave on the Sabbath before Sinai? No. What was the Sabbath in Eden? Excuse me. Was the Sabbath in Eden about avoiding work? No. Yeah. So think about this for a second. Adam and Eve in Eden, prior to their fall, what do you think they did Sunday through Friday? What kind of activities were they engaged in Sunday through Friday? Their work. She said their work. Be specific. Did they go for walks out in nature?
1: Tended the garden.
0: Tended the garden, meaning what did they do? Uh, Did they weed? No. 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 Weed. Did they fertilize? Did they hoe? Did they um, use pesticides? Did they harvest and put into barns? Uh, so they tended the garden. Did they, did they work in the garden like we work? No. So maybe they walked through the garden, they interacted with the animals, they studied nature, they appreciated God and what he had done in the creation, they talked with angels, but there weren't any weeds to pull, there was no planting to do, no seeds to do, no hoeing, no rototilling, uh, no harvesting to store in barns, no fertilizing, irrigating. Were there houses to build? Were there bank, banking investments to deal with? Was there laundry, vacuuming, and dishes to do? I'm, I'm being serious here. Think about When we think about the Sabbath, we've got this, con, this conditioned lens that we look through. Was there anything to do that we call work for them? No. No. I don't think so. So, in other words, most of the activities that they did on Sabbath were the things that we find... You see, know, most of the activities they did the rest of the week were we, things we, like going out in nature, interacting with animals, interacting with God in nature, and angels, if angels would talk to us, but they don't, but if they did, that's what they did. Um, all these activities they did, well, oh, picking fruit, I'm sure they picked some fruit and ate on Sabbath and they, the rest of the week as well. All, all of these things we find very wholesome to do on Sabbath. They were doing those all week. Hmm. So what did Adam and Eve then do on Sabbath? Did they, did they attend church? <laughs> Did they attend church on Sabbath? Did they have communion ceremonies, go to confession, do penance, pay tithe? Would they still walk in nature, pick fruit of the trees, play and interact with the animals, converse with God and angels? Would they still do that on Sabbath? Yes. So what was the difference for Adam and Eve about the Sabbath than any other day of the week? Was the difference primarily in their behavior or in something else? Something else. Could the difference be in what the day itself revealed? Could it be in what the day itself represented? In fact, could it be in what God did differently on the seventh day of creation week, not what humans did differently? What was the purpose for which the Sabbath was created? Do we miss the point of the Sabbath when we focus on self, on our behavior, on what we should and should not do? Did we miss the point? So what is the point of the Sabbath? Thoughts directed towards God.
2: Thoughts directed towards God. Honor God's creation.
0: Honor God's creation.
2: Recognize his character.
0: Recognize his character. Okay, there there takes a step in a different direction, doesn't it? Yeah, how does the Sabbath do that? They mentioned before
3: that the earth was perfect at the time the Sabbath was created. The universe was not. There was discord in the universe.
0: Ah, this is important. Yes. Do you think we get distorted the Sabbath because we tend to look at it through the lens of self? Yes. What we should do, what we shouldn't do, um, uh, what, 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 you know, all these things that the do's and don'ts of the Sabbath that, that focus on enough, do you think that distorts it? Is it typically about God other than the two things we always say we don't work and we don't do all these things because we have to remember the Creator and redemption? Creation and redemption are attributed to God. Is there much more than that attributed to the Sabbath? What are the most profound, what I think are the most profound elements of what creation and redemption mean about God's law revealed in the Sabbath? And Russell, I think, was trying to go there. You want to expand on that, Russell? About this context in the universe? There was a war going on?
3: Yeah, there was a war. And, and certain allegations have been made about. Um, Christ's but, equality with the Father and, and Lucifer's supposed equality with Christ. So Christ started. I mean, <clears throat> Christ started providing evidence.
0: So what? So first off, this, this idea of war. Mm-hmm. What? What kind of war? Be... But, this is very important because there's this idea. There's, this, there's a, a atonement model out there called Christus Victor. And Chris's Victor model has some concept that there's actually some element of principalities and powers that are in some type of a war over might or energy or law or order or or something that 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 is actually happening between Christ directly and Satan directly. They are actually going mano a mano in some way uh, to, to for Christ to overcome. It's very amorphous, but there is this like idea that Christ had to actually defeat Satan directly. In my view, is that. God could have destroyed Satan and his sympathizers as easily as one cast the pebble to the stone. It was never an issue of might. The battle is not waged directly between the two of them who 's strongest, but the battle is waged between the two of them through the minds of intelligent beings. Who do you believe? Who do you trust? Whose methods do you prefer? And so the war is grappling back and forth, but the the way, where they do the battle, the battlefield is in the minds of intelligent beings and we see this in second Corinthians ten three through five. Choice. Yes, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we use are not worldly. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to Jesus Christ. This is where it's fought. And so back then, when it says in Revelation, there was war in heaven. The Greek word for war there is polemo, from which we get polemics. Polemics meaning... A word of words. A war of words. It was a war of idea, words, concepts, misconceptions. Um, and this is Satan. He is the father of lies, ideas, false ideas. And so this is the war that's being fought. In our minds, started in the minds of angelic beings in heaven, spread to this earth. And so in that context, Adam and Eve are perfect, the earth is perfect, but the, the universe is already in a war of ideas of who God is how he runs his universe what methods he used what protocols what principles whether he's trustworthy or not and how does the Sabbath fit into it any thoughts any thoughts what's the first angel's message fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come which is historically seen through penal substitutionary imposed law constructs at the hour he's going to sit in a judiciary court overlooking the record books and impose findings of judgments and then punishments but when we look under the other model, the hour of his judgment, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, I think, um, God, may you win your case when you take it into court. God, you've been lied about. You've been misrepresented. God, may you win. May people see the truth. May minds be freed of the lies. Fear God. Be in awe of him. And give him glory. Reveal him. Because the hour when people will make judgments about him has come. And then it goes on to say, Worship him who made the heavens the earth. In other words, worship the creator, the designer, the builder. Come back to see God as the one who's constructed things. And the Sabbath is a memorial of that. How does it fit in? There's a connection. How does it fit in? During all
2: those six days, God
0: showed his power and created. Well, I like this. keep, Keep going. On the
2: seventh day, he rested
1: and that was a chance for everyone to to see and to choose and to decide and to think for themselves.
0: So notice what she said. Days 1 through 6 we learn that God is powerful. Do we find anywhere in the recorded inspired record that God alleged, that, excuse me, that Satan alleged God was powerless or God had no power? That's never been an allegation. The allegation is always you can't trust the one who has the power. He abuses his power. He misuses his power. And so day one through six, we learn he has power, but that was never in dispute. What was in dispute is, he coerces, he pressures, he imposes, he manipulates, he demands, he controls. This is what was in dispute. And what does the Sabbath reveal?
1: He's not like that, but he's not coercive. He didn't say, you must now bow down and worship me. He said, rest, think about it.
0: So in the context of this war over God's trustworthiness, raging in the universe... You can see you can see the the interest building uh, because this conflict began before Earth was created. Well, let's, let's 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 just walk you through the imaginary scenario. Imagine you're an angel in heaven, and you've. Uh, you're perfect and sinless. And, and uh, from the day you were created, you you met Lucifer on the day God brought you into a intelligent life and woke you up to consciousness. And, and Lucifer and you became fast friends. Uh, you're an angel. He's an angel. You have lots in common. He was on the scene before you were on the scene. And through the millennia of time, you've traveled the universe with him. You sang in the heavenly choir with him. He's come from God's presence on numerous occasions and shared insights he's gleaned that just thrilled your heart and let you come closer to know God. And one day... Lucifer comes from God's presence and said something to you about God that was unsettling. It was very, very scary, if true. It just really was uncomfortable. And you thought, "Oh, well, what would you do? What would you do? Well, would you pray for wisdom? So you decided to go to God. And you said, God, I just had a talk with Lucifer and he said some things about you that are kind of scary, Lord. It's, uh it's uh, Lord, I love you. But I love Lucifer too. What does God do? Well, I'm glad you love us both because love is good. But I have to assure you, what Lucifer is saying is not true. Oh, I knew it had to be a misunderstanding. I knew it. I knew it. Go find Lucifer. Lucifer, I just had to talk with God. God says what you're saying is not right. This has all been misunderstood. And Lucifer puts his hand on your shoulder, looks at you in the eye, and said, That's the problem. I know God is lying. Now, if you're that angel in heaven, what do you do?
3: What's a lie?
0: Up to that point in universal history, can the angels look to Lucifer's histor- historical record? and determine whether he can be trusted or not. I mean, it says he was perfect in all his ways. There's nothing to differentiate his character from Christ's character up to that point because he was Christ-like in all his ways up to that point. So what do, what do you do? Well, God, of course, comes out and proclaims the truth about himself and his son and, and the innocence and the, false, and the misunderstanding and the false charges, but God does more. He begins giving evidence. Let there be light, let the firmament come forth. And you can see as this conflict is raging, the attention of the entire universe is being drawn to this little blue marble in the corner of the Milky Way where God is doing something new that he's maybe not done before. He says, let us make man in our image. Let them be fruitful and multiply. And he creates a species with capacity to come into the unity of love and give of themselves in love and bring forth new life in their image. He gave them procreative abilities and he gave them dominion to govern. And it was God's plan that as Adam and Eve governed this planet in love, it would be a, an object lesson, a, a lesson book to the universe. They would Why would they have children to enslave, to abuse, to lord over in this perfect world? No, they would give of themselves constantly for the health and welfare of the kids. And the universe looks at me, I get it. God operates like Adam and Eve. They're not exploiting others. They're constantly giving, constantly caretaking, constantly extending themselves for the welfare of others. Ah, God didn't make us to wait on him. He's giving of himself for us. This was part of the lesson book, it says in 1 Corinthians 4.9. We are a theater, a spectacle to angels and to men. And then, Satan, though, he doesn't want this to go by un- un- unchallenged. And so you're that angel watching. He said, look, guys, God's just trying to intimidate you. Look what he did this week. You see, you know, uh, us here on earth, we can take a-, a few grams of matter and we can turn that back into energy and we call that a nuclear explosion. Just a few grams of matter. And look at the energy in that few grand. How much energy did it take to, to create this whole world, this solar system, the sun and the moon? Incredible displays of power this week were going on. And Lucifer says, look, guys, I never said he wasn't powerful. He's just trying to in, 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 uh, intimidate you. He's trying to coerce you. He's basically saying, guys, you better get in line because, look, I just made some new intelligent beings and I can wipe you out and replace you in a second. And so God says, the universe, you've heard the allegations. You've seen the evidence that we've given. Now, universe, take your own time. Come up to your own conclusions. I rest my case. No coercion, no pressure. What does it say about God in the context of a war in which he's being alleged to be abusive, to be coercive, to, to be demanding, that instead he steps back and stops and rests and leaves free? You see, the first six days reveal God's power, as you say. The seventh day, though, reveals the character of the one who wields the power. That he is truly... See, if God were the kind of being Satan alleges, there would be no Sabbath. Because we wouldn't have freedom to think and to choose. And so I think the Sabbath was different for Adam and Eve, not because of what they did, but because of what God did. God rested on that day. And it declares and reveals something about him and how he operates. That he gives you real freedom. And it was confirmed thousands of years later when Jesus came. God in human form. And he gave us the freedom to beat him and crucify him and spit on him and kill him. And he didn't use his power to stop us. And then after he revealed that, he again rested. took 24 hours aside. Everyone think. Consider what I just revealed again about me. This is what sets the Sabbath apart. It's a day of God's character revealed. Truth presented in love, leaving people free. There's a question in the back.
3: Another comment from one of our guests online wants to say that uh, the Sabbath was God's way of making uh, people take time off to fellowship with each other so that they could learn to love each other, spending time doing their only, th- doing their thing only prevents the ability to do this. And so learning to love others, the point is, and that they'd like a comment on, learning to love others helps us to learn to love, which helps us to know God better.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think, to me, those comments are appropriate in the aftermath of sin and when the commandment came. We're going to get to the commandment and how the commandment is actually different than what happened in Eden and why it's different. Um, there's another hand? You're probably going to go here next, but uh, it's also
2: been considered uh, why if God knew that all this was going to happen, why didn't he just eliminate Satan before it even began?
0: Okay, and the, and the obvious answer to that is? God's love, love, which is another way of saying, where does that love originate? His character. It's who God is, it's about who he is. Why is it that um, if you're put in a circumstance, and you've probably seen these scenarios in either books, history, or or otherwise, where an individual is in a circumstance where they can kill one person to save 10 other people? Some people do it, some people won't do it. You can make the argument either way, but the person who decides is revealing what? Their character. God's character was revealed in that action. That he doesn't use power to coerce, nor the power of foreknowledge to manipulate to get his ways. He gives us genuine freedom. The fact that this actual rebellion occurred is further evidence that we really have real freedom with God. Russell?
3: I would challenge us to think a bit about a universe before dishonesty. We've all grown up with... Dishonesty almost as part of our DNA. We we we've experienced lies. We've told them, but when Satan told the first lie, think about the cognitive dissonance that the, the rest of the angels went through, <coughs> and their their almost complete lack of ability to discern truth from error. And, and this and this this is why. Okay, I'm going to provide evidence of my character. Yes, yeah. it's a very it's very sobering to think of of to hearing the first lie, and, and not being able to discern it. The
2: way God gives us free will, he gave the angels free will, and uh, we're we free to, to see God as love. So if the angels saw God as pure love, they wouldn't have believed Lucifer. So, uh, and they call him the angel of darkness for a reason, because he's away from the light and the love of God.
0: Absolutely. So back to the Sabbath thing. Notice the Sabbath reveals God's character and it comes at the end of creation week where God gave evidence creating a planet. Notice what this planet was created. It was created to operate Upon the protocols of love. God's it says in, in Romans chapter one twenty, God's divine nature is seen in what He has made so that men were that excuse. The very laws of nature are expressions of God's other centered giving, which life is constructed to operate upon. This whole planet was teeming with life in a in a everything ministering to another's way is how it was designed. And this is part of the lesson book. So the Sabbath also is part of that revelation of God's law as design law. And the plan of redemption. Also, God's plan of redemption is the plan of what? Healing, restoring individuals deviant from God's nature and character and design back into harmony with God's nature and character design. Doctors cannot get patients well outside the laws of health. Doctors don't work to change the laws of health to meet patients in their sickness. Doctors work to change patients to get them back in harmony with the laws of health. This is exactly the plan of salvation. God doesn't work to change his law to meet the sinner in his sin. God works to change the sinner to put the sinner back in harmony with his design or his law.
1: You mentioned that Jesus said that Sabbath was made for man. That means it was a gift from God to mankind God just created Adam and Eve when the new baby is born what do you give to that baby yourself it says God rested but the word rest means Sabbath in Hebrew and so God rested with a purpose And so he gave them a gift of the Sabbath. And the parent, the only thing the parent can give to the newborn baby is to give himself, herself.
0: I like this very much. This is very nice. To teach about
1: love, we have the whole world full of books, worthless and useless.
0: If you don't experience it.
1: But the baby needs a parent... And that's how the baby learns the first rule of the universe, and that is love. And so Sabbath is a Sabbath school for Adam and Eve to learn about God and His love. That's how the child learns what it means to love.
0: Yeah. Yep. yep. Right away. And was there a Sabbath prior to creation of this planet? As the inspired record goes, no. Sabbath is defined by the movement of this planet in relation to a sun that didn't exist until the fourth day of creation of the solar system. Why was there no Sabbath prior to the creation of this planet? It wasn't needed. Because God's character and trustworthiness had not yet been called into question. It is actually part of the great controversy over God's character that Adam and Eve were created in the middle of that war and they needed the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the the Sabbath is a gift. Is the gift given to be a blessing or is a gift given with strings attached? When you think of the Sabbath, has it been your experience that it's been a gift for your blessing? Or has it been a gift with all these strings attached and all these do's and don'ts that I don't have to do now and now I'm burdened and weighted down by this gift? wish he had never given it to me. How do you experience it? See, the giver can give something, but you can experience something else, depending on how you understand it. Well, yes, go ahead.
1: Why does it say in many books, don't do what pleases you on Sabbath?
0: Yeah, there's the next question. Why do you think the commandment has the direction not to work? So you could turn
2: your... Mind
0: towards God. So you can turn your mind towards Prior to human sin, did God have to instruct Adam and Eve not to work on Sabbath? Was there an instruction right? Thou shalt not you know, do any work. You, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger within your gates, Adam and Eve. Did they have to give that instruction to Adam and Eve before sin? So this instruction and the entire commandments written at Sinai were a special distillation of God's law of love given to people weighed down by sin. Angels in heaven didn't need a commandment to honor their mother and father. They didn't need a commandment warning about the sins passing down to the third and fourth generation. This distillation was for human. Adam and Eve, by the way, didn't need a commandment warning about sins passing down three and four generations before they sinned. They would have had none of that passing down. This is a distillation for people in sin. Yes.
1: All I was going to say is what you said there, that they needed rules, they needed examples. They were in such sin that you had to tell them not to kill each other. That's the way you had... That's the way you loved each other.
3: They they had been forced to work day in and day out as slaves for countless generations. That that was their
2: mindset.
0: What about us? I I think there's several reasons there's the instruction in a sinful world that has restriction in the commandment that wasn't necessary to give in a a sinless world. So it says uh, one would be to help us humans stop the rat wheel of life. You know the parable of Jesus? The, the seed is sown and it comes up and then weeds come up and choke it out. What are the weeds in the parable? The busyness and cares and worries of life. The Sabbath helps protect against that. If we stop and get off the rat wheel every seven days and allow our minds, not our bodies, but our minds to rest and reach out in that relationship with God to experience his love, It helps keep us connected. But if we go seven days, seven days, seven days, never stop. And I have patients that come to see me that are depressed and exhausted. And as I look through their life, I look through all the different contributing factors. And one factor for many, even the Christian folk, is that they never stop and rest their minds. Even though they may go to church Sunday morning, soon as church is over, they've got to go grocery shopping, they've got to do the lawn, they've got to do the laundry, they've got to get the stuff ready for the next week. And they're just working, 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 and they never rest. So one, one reason, I think, is to get off the rat wheel and give us time to contemplate a larger reality. Another reason, I don't know if you guys know what the blue zones are. Anybody know what the blue zones are? Blue zones are the zones in the world that have been identified to have the highest concentrations of people living to be over 100 years of age. Some of them, uh, like Okinawa, Japan, um, uh, a uh, little island off the coast of Italy, uh, all of them, except one, have a homogenous gene pool, meaning everybody comes from the same you know, heredity with very good genes to help them live. But one has a heterogeneous, meaning lots of different genes coming into this group. You know, and that's the only one in the United States. And that's Loma Linda, California. Loma Linda, California is one of the Blue Zones. And there's a lot of things that... that it's, and, and it's uh, if you go to the Blue Zone website, which is not a Christian website... It's, uh, there's a book called The Blue Zones. You can go to the Blue Zone website and read about Loma Linda. And it talks about many of the healthy things they do, and it talks about the high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists there. And one of the things it mentions on the Blue Zone website is that the Seventh-day Adventists have a Sabbath rest each week. From Sunset Friday to Sunset Saturday, fellowship with God and others, they put away the cares of the world. And that they, uh, they, the world, now has looked at this and seen, wow, there is something healing and restorative to people. You have better health when you do this. So I think in a world of sin, Adam and Eve didn't need the Sabbath rest to decompress from the stress of the week. But in a world of sin, stop doing all your work. Come apart. Set it aside. Don't do any work on this day. It was another blessing for our health. And then I think that what the caller was getting to, or the, not the caller, the, uh, the online person was getting to, is this aspect of choosing to say no to yourself every seven days. To put aside the things that you want to do necessarily. To do something for God and others, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the neighbor as yourself. To be a day where you where you're every seven days practicing what it means to be selfless. But it can only work to help develop the character. And, and of course, that then would the Sabbath would be then kind of like the template which would expand through your whole life and, and you do this all week long, living to bless God and others. Okay? But This only happens with Sabbath rest if you do it from a heart of love and thanksgiving. If you do it from a motive of coercion, threat, fear of punishment, I have to or else, it actually leads to a heart of a rebel. And you become a rebel against God. And the Sabbath becomes, a instead of a blessing, it becomes a day one must keep. And you can crucify your Savior and want him down by sunset to keep the day. So,
2: when the Jews came out of Egypt, they were disoriented and, and totally out of... There was no perspective of the, Abraham's promise with God and all that. So, so the laws of Moses were to redefine that, to give them parameters.
0: Very well said. Very well said. So Satan works to get us to discard this gift of the Sabbath or experience the gift as something other than a gift, as a leash, a slave collar an imposition, a requirement we must fulfill, a burden that we must endure. The Sabbath is evidence that Satan's allegations against God are are false. Um, And because of this, he hates the Sabbath and wants to destroy it. He hates the Sabbath in the same way Richard Nixon hated the Watergate tapes and wanted to destroy them, and he tried to, but he couldn't quite do it. Or the same way Bill Clinton hated Monica Lewinsky's dress, and he would have liked to destroy that. Satan wants to destroy the Sabbath because it exposes him as a liar and a fraud, rightly understood. And and there's two main ways he tries to do this. One, by replacing the day as a sign or evidence of God's character of love and his law as a design law upon which life is built with the idea that God's law is a bunch of imposed rules. There's no reason for this thing other than God is the one in authority and he's laid it down as an arbitrary test of obedience for no purpose other than for you to decide are you going to be loyal to him or loyal to others. And he has the power to enforce it. And so, this is one way. The Jews fell into this distortion and thought the Sabbath was a rule to be observed rather than the evidence of God's character to be understood and practiced. Thus, they burdened the Sabbath with all types of behavioral restrictions, making it the most oppressive day of the week, distorting the freedom we have in God with a false sense of fear and enslavement. And people began worrying. Well, did I did I take one too many steps on Sabbath? Did I did I lift too many little things? In other words, Sabbath became a day to fear that you would somehow cross a line, kind of like in baseball, was, was, I, was I on the bag when they tagged me or off? Okay, it's this, this fear of whether you're in the safe zone or out of the safe zone and, and can be tagged out by God, and He never misses a tag. Ah. <laughs> Okay, I mean, this is how people would experience it when it's this type of rule. And today, many Sabbath observers today fall into the same trap, understanding what day of the week is the Sabbath of the Bible, but accepting lies about it such that the Sabbath is seen as an arbitrary test of obedience, a rule put upon us, rather than evidence of God's love and a gift to us to celebrate him. So uh, this week I received an email from one of our online li- listeners, Curtis Wiltsey, who uh, shared the following quote from a book called God is Love by George Fifield, published in 1897. This is from Fifield. God created all things by Jesus Christ, and therefore Christ is the mighty God, the everlasting Father of all intelligent beings in all worlds. God the Father is the Father of Christ, and therefore through him of all these beings created by Christ. Now the All-Father gave... To his children, certain rules or laws to regulate their conduct. These laws were not arbitrary, not designed to show his right or power to boss or domineer over his children, but, like the rules of a well-regulated family, they were designed to promote the happiness of all the children and and the unity of the family life. Although many might hesitate to express it thus, the thought that lingers in their minds is about like this. See if you've ever had this thought. God is arbitrary and obstinate and will not permit the slightest variation from his laws without plunging us into eternal death. This was Satan. This is what Satan has ever said of God and of his government. I desire to show the contrary so that all may see. I desire to show that it is the variation itself that plunges us into eternal death and not the arbitrary degree of God. It is the love of God that will not in any way countenance that variation because it leads to such terrible results. The law of God is not simply a fiat, meaning a decree, a declaration. It rests upon eternal principles of pleasure and pain. Pleasure, actually principles, as unchangeable in their very nature as the laws that govern the seasons or control the motions of the planets. The law is not so, sim- the law is not so simply because God said so but he said so because it was so. I'll say that again. This is Fifield. The law is not so simply because God says so, but he said so because it was so, and because it must eternally and universally be so. On the correct understanding of these principles of the nature of God's law depends our power to comprehend God's love. In other words, he said, if you don't get God's law right, you can't understand his love. And he goes on to say, Uh, to comprehend God's love in all his dealings with his creatures. On this rests the whole philosophy of the purpose of creation and of the plan of redemption. The existence of misery and suffering, the need of an atonement, and how that atonement is accomplished by Christ can be understood in the light of God's love only as the nature of his law stands revealed. If you don't see God's law as design law, you can't understand God, his character, nature, according to Fifield. It is for this reason that we uh, purpose to dwell at some length in these pages on the nature of God's law. I only have a couple of paragraphs. We have always thought of the Ten Commandments as requiring our love to God and to all his creatures. Have we ever thought of them as an expression of his love to us? It would be absolutely foolish to demand our love by arbitrary fiat. Love cannot be given in this way. Love is born only of love. The state might as well legislate that the sun should not shine or water should not flow downhill as for the Lord to make such an arbitrary demands for love. In either case, the law could not affect in the slightest the things legislated about. In other words, he's saying if the the legislature in Tennessee decided to pass a law that in Tennessee water will flow uphill, it won't in the slightest affect how water flows. If God were to give a law that commands love, it doesn't in the slightest affect love love can only be gotten by love, awakening love you can't command it in other words yet it remains true that all the law of God all the law of God requires is love and that as the apostle says love is fulfilling of the law of the whole law, how is this? simply that the law itself when we understand it is the revelation of such infinite love as it beget within us a returning, responsive love that can and will fulfill the law God is love Every word, every jot and tittle of the law coming from love requires only such service as love dictates. When the same love which the law expresses to us is begotten by it in our hearts and flows out towards God and all his creatures in loving action, then the law is fulfilled. What do you think about that? You see, these ideas that I'm presenting, they're not new. I didn't just come up with these things. I, I didn't—I never read this quote until this week. But this is this idea has been trying to emerge in Christianity for a long time, and every time this idea tries to emerge, people who have this imposed law construct beat it down. They shut down the avenues of communication. They they accuse of of heresy those who would present this law. Jesus came to reveal God's law was exactly like this, and they shut him down and crucified him because the world hates. How does the world make law? By imposition and rule. How does the creator make law? By designing and building the fabric upon which the universe operates. So the Sabbath rightly understood stands as evidence of God's love, his character, truth presented in love leaving his creatures free. But wrongly understood, it's misrepresented as a rule that must be enforced, an arbitrary decree by an arbitrary God to test us. This is one way Satan attacks the Sabbath, twisting it. But he attacks it in another way. What's the second way? By replacing it with a substitute day. Now, are there any concerns in anybody historically about which day is actually, and if you do, there's a whole, I'll just, maybe just run through this real fast. Some argue that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday with the Julian calendar change, uh, to the Gregorian calendar, but that fails to realize that the weekly cycle is not affected. The Julian calendar switched to the Gregorian calendar mainly affected the dates of, uh, of the month, not this, not the days of the week. So it went from October 4, Thursday, October 4, 1582, to Friday, October 15, 1582. So just, Change the date by 10, but the days of the week stay the same. Evidence for a weekly Sabbath from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday? Genesis 2-2, at the end of creation week, we've got the Sabbath. Exodus 16 is a big one. Exodus 16, a lot of people don't go there. But Exodus 16, we have God giving instructions on manna. And manna came six days a week, and on Friday they got a double portion, and they got none on Sabbath, and then they got it again on Sunday. And from that point in time, and God did this for years, every week for years, this is a very practical way to ingrain in them habitually which day is the Sabbath, and from that point on, there's been an unbroken chain of Jewish people who have been worshiping on the Sabbath from that point on for four thousand years or however long it's been going on, and those people are still worshiping every every Sabbath. Yeah. So before yes.
2: that, they basically their
0: days ended at sundown. Yes, sunset Friday to sunset Sabbath. Yep. So I mean, the, but the Jewish
2: day was sunset to
0: sunset. That's right. Not.
2: Sun up to sun
0: up. That's right, We're midnight to midnight.
2: Which is where we get, I think that's where the confusion is, it's not, that's right. and not so, Sabbath, but what, what's your definition of a day?
0: That's right, so sunset Friday to sunset Saturday was the Sabbath. Exactly. And then the Jews have been doing this for generation and continue to do. Jesus, and the commandment was actually given after the manna, Right. that was in chapter 20 of Exodus. Uh, and then... Jesus, of course, 2,000 years ago, worshipped on the same Jewish Sabbath as the Jews are worshipping on today. And then the New Testament has many controversies related to the Sabbath, but they were always about what is appropriate to do on Sabbath. And if they were arguing and so outraged that Jesus' disciples pulled a few grains of, of wheat on Sabbath, how outraged would they be if he was changing the day of the week? Okay, I mean, there was no discussion about this at all. And further, the New Testament makes it very clear. All, this weekend is Easter weekend. And the New Testament is clear that Jesus died on Good Friday, and he rose on Easter Sunday, and the scripture says that in between, that they rested according to the Sabbath, between those two days. So all Christianity brackets the Sabbath between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So this is the Bible Sabbath. If you want languages, there's a whole bunch of languages I've listed that they're The name for Saturday, we call Saturday, is Sabbath in their language. And there's a whole list of languages of the world that have the day of the week, Saturday. uh, They just call it the Sabbath. That's what they call it. And then...
2: On Friday.
0: On Friday. It would have been Sabbath. That's right. That's why they want his legs broken, to get him off, so he wouldn't be on there for the Sabbath. Exactly right. And then finally, there's the, actually the admission in the Catholic Encyclopedia of the Catholic Church where they, they actually um, shifted the day from Saturday to Sunday, a day of worship. And what, then, is so devastating? Oh, back in the back.
3: Um, online listeners wondering why Saturday versus any other day as far as far uh, uh, as far as rest and Instead of just saying, okay, God said so.
0: Yes. um, As far as physical rest, it doesn't matter. You want to take physical rest any other day of the week, your body will be recuperated by it. As far as praying with God, God, it says in Eden, even, that he came and talked with them in the cool of the day, every day of the week. And if you pray with God on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, and how many go to Wednesday night prayer meeting? Do we expect God's not listening on Wednesday nights? Of course he's listening on Wednesday nights, so God is going to commune with you on Wednesday nights. Um, So as far as those things, what we miss in the significance is the nature of God's character, methods, and government. When a church committee, and the church committee did vote, to change and it it was reviewed in several councils to confirm the change of day from Saturday to Sunday. When you do that, you don't do that until you've first done something else. And that's, what do you do first before you make that change? You first accept the lie that God's laws like a Roman dictator just impose those rules. When does a church committee ever vote to change the law of gravity? When do they ever vote to change the law of respiration? You know what? In Italy, people don't have to breathe. (laughs) Okay. Why Why don't they ever vote these kinds of laws? Because they can't. So as soon as you vote to change the law, you're automatically acknowledging that you see God's law as a law without inherent consequence or inherent meaning. It is a simple rule or test of obedience law. And that's the devastation aspect of changing the law. Uh, and, and, and because of that change, because of that change, then came the entire change in how we see God and the purpose of Christ's mission on Earth. Everything changed based on that view, um, and this idea has also corrupted the Seventh-day Adventist Church as well. Even though Seventh-day Adventist Church may have covered the right, recovered may, may the right Sabbath day, many of them still see it as an arbitrary test of obedience without any historical connotation. But uh, this, this is kind of a rudimentary way to say this. If you had seven pistols, and one pistol was used in a murder, even though the seven are identical, made by the same manufacturer, how many get to be entered into evidence? Only the one that was used. There's seven days of the week that, as far as the hours of each day and what time looks like, look similar. But only one of them came in which God rested from what he was doing to create in the context of this war. Only one stands as evidence of his character. The others reveal his power. And so it's significant for that purpose. So many Adventists have recovered the right day, but they failed to recover the God's law as the design protocols, and so they still teach a, a punitive God who must sit in judgment, and this Sabbath becomes an arbitrary test, and if you're worshiping on the wrong day, then God must punish you for worshiping on the wrong day. Now, there's, here's a quote from um, uh, Eight Testimonies, page 117, written in 1904, that is representative of many ideas taught in Adventism. The sign or seal of God is revealed in the observance of the seventh-day Sabbath, the Lord's memorial of creation. The mark of the beast is the opposite of this, the observance of the first day of the week. Statements like this are often misunderstood and misused because they are viewed through the imposed law lens. Not disputing these statements, but how you understand them makes all the difference in the world. So let's see if we can understand these ideas accurately. First, First, though, questions. Notice that the statement says that the sign or seal of God is revealed on the seventh day Sabbath and the moral of creation and the mark of the beast is the opposite of the observance of the first day of the week. Is the issue in our salvation, in our preparation to meet Jesus, in our being ready for translation without seeing death as simple as which day of the week one goes to worship services on? No. Is that all it requires? Remember those, if you think so, remember those who put Christ on the cross, they wanted him down to keep the right day. Does that mean they had the seal of God because they worshipped on the right day? No. You can worship on the right day and still get the mark of the beast. And you can worship on the wrong day and still get the seal of God. Mm -hmm. Okay? But there's something much more significant we need to look at. By the way, does Satan care if you worship on Saturday the Sabbath as long as you're worshipping him? See, I think he was quite pleased with those Jewish leaders 2,000 years ago. He was quite happy with the way they were following him, even though they were worshiping on the Jewish Sabbath. Okay, so what is a mark or a sign? A mark or a sign. A symbol that stands or signifies something else. The sign of the cross stands for Christianity. Those The mark of the fish stands for Christianity. The goat's head symbolizes, oftentimes, the demonic. The pentagram is the mark of Satan, okay, so then, with understanding those are marks and signs, if someone wears a cross, are they saved because the sign is the sign of the crucified Lord? If someone has a fish sticker on their car, does that mean they're saved because it's a sign of Jesus? If someone has a goat ornament hanging on their Christmas tree, does that mean that they are condemned because a goat's head can symbolize Satan? If someone has a pentagram sticker on their car, does that mean they're lost because pentagrams can represent the demonic? If someone worships on Sabbath, are they saved because it's the sign of God? You see, it's a sign. I'm not disputing it's a sign. <coughs> the passage we read, the Bible, Sabbath, and its observance is a sign or seal of God, whereas Sunday, observance is the mark of the beast. Are these days themselves the reality or symbols, signs, marks of some deeper reality, just as the fish cross, pentagram, and goat's head? Could a, yeah, could a person wear the flag, which is also a sign, or uniform of a country which marks them as being members of that country, they're wearing the mark of that country, the uniform being an external visible sign of whom they serve, but could they actually be a traitor and fighting for the other side? Remember U.S. Army Major Nadel Hassan shot and killed 13 people at Fort Hood in November 2009? Whose uniform was he wearing? Ours. Whose side was he on? Somebody else's. So even if we accept the idea that these days are signs and marks, doesn't mean that we can tell who's on God's side just by on which day they're worshiping. So is it possible the days uh, mentioned are signs because they symbolize something that demarcates God's government from Satan's government? Could they stand as signals, signets, of the mode of governing, governing each side uses? Could these days in their origins, as days of worship, contain the very elements of the two types of governing, Satan's or God's? Given what we've discussed so far today, what do you think? I've got some more quotes here I'm going to share with you. Okay, here's another quote from one of the founders of our church. It's found in uh, Review and Herald, April 27, 1911. Why are men not interested to know what constitutes the mark of the beast? The Sabbath question will be the issue in the great conflict in which all the world will act apart. I'm going to pause there and just all the world, all, it'll be the question for all the world. How does this entire world act apart? Will Muslims give up Friday and start worshiping on Sunday? What about agnostics and atheists, or is it these two days stand as signs of something more, and everyone will choose one or the other of two methods of which these days stand as symbols? Christ died to keep on with the quote. Christ died, to, Christ died to save sinners, not in their sins, but from their sins. Now this is critical. You understand? And what we teach in here, we contrast the imposed law model from the design law model. Do you understand that most of Christianity does not teach that sentence? Most of Christianity teaches God came to save us from the penalty of sin while we remain in sin. All our sins, past, present, and future, praise upon Christ at the cross. We're covered with the robe of righteousness. When the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our wicked nastiness. What he sees is the perfect Son of righteousness of his Son who's applied to our record in heaven. And our records now reveal righteousness even though we're not righteous. And I've talked with theologians up here on the hill about justification. And what they tell me justification is, is when God declares us righteous, this is their words, even though we're not. This is not delivering from sin. This is delivering in sin. This is a lie. This is what penal substitution theology does. It, it takes the problem, which is, which is a, a nature problem. There's something wrong with the way we operate. Our motives are, are distorted. It's deviant from God's design. It's no longer the, the message of writing the law on the heart and mind or recreating us within or regenerating us or cleansing and renewing. No, it's a message of that the law requires punishment be meted out. And in order for God to be just, he must punish sin. And where does that quote found? of ages 761, Every sin must meet its punishment, urge Satan. But this is what's taught, and therefore, when you accept Jesus as your substitute, he pays the the penalty in your behalf, it's credited to your account in heaven, and you get legal pardon even though you're not delivered from sin. You're still living in it. And deliverance doesn't come until the day that Christ returns. This is not what the Bible teaches. He came to save sinners not in their sins, but from their sins. This is the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a sign, if you read in scripture and Exodus and other places, that I am the God who makes you holy or sanctifies you. Okay? It's actually a sign of transformation in the believer. It's not a sign that I am the one who declares you to be righteous even though you're not. So what is a sign of? The sign of transformation of the believer. The warning, back to the quote, the warning given in Revelation shows us the terrible consequence of transgression. By lips that will not lie, God's law has declared, is declared to be holy, just, and good our duty to obey this law is in uh, obey this law is to be the burden of the last message of mercy to the world i'm going to pause right here our duty to obey this law is the burden of the last message of mercy to the world now does any of your databases ring with another quote that has that language in it christ object lessons exactly i'm going to read that quote to you on page 415 notice because the burden to obey this law is the last message of mercy listen to the christ object lessons it's the darkness and misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. Men are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misrepresented. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. His character is to be made known. Into the darkness of the world is to be shed the light of his glory, the light of his goodness, mercy, and truth. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and characters. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. So notice how there is a connection here between the burden of the last message of mercy for the world, law of God, and what is It It is a transformational message that we live a life that reveals God's character. Keep on with the quote. God's law is to be... I love this one. God's law is not a new thing. It is not holiness created, but holiness made known. It is a code of principles expressing mercy, goodness, and love. It presents to the fallen humanity the character of God and states plainly the whole duty of man. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. This commandment contains the principles of the first four precepts, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two principles, the word of God declares, hangs all law and prophets. These principles are made known by the third angel's message, which declares that the Creator has always required and always will require obedience to His royal law. I'm going to pause. Why does He require obedience to His law? The imposed model, because He's the dictator, and if you don't, you disrespect Him, and it offends Him, and and it's dishonorable to Him, and, and holiness requires that He lash out and kill such disrespectful attitudes. It's a whole lie. Why does God require that you breathe? He requires it. You must breathe. It's the law. It's the law of respiration. It's how things are built. This is exactly why he requires harmony to his law. Because it is how it is constructed to live. And transgression of the law results in death. He wants us to live. He wants us to be healthy. This is why he requires it. Because the law cannot be changed to meet us in our deviant state. We have to be changed We be put back in harmony with the design. But this law has been disregarded and transgressed and is now being ignored by the churches. Human enactments are placed where God's law should be. Notice the word, human enactments. In other words, they've accepted the law of God is a bunch of enactments and rules. It can be legislated, it can be dictated, it can be uh, proscribed and changed. Rather than seeing God's law as the law upon which life is built. So... Sunday, a child of the papacy, has taken the place of God's holy Sabbath. As Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image and set up to be worshiped by, uh, by all, so Sunday is placed before the people to be regarded as sacred. This day bears not the vestige of sanctity, yet it is held up to be honored by all. Notice, it is not going to church on Sunday that's a problem. That's not the problem. It's not at all. The problem is recognizing Sunday as sacred as sanctified by God, acknowledging that God's law, which means by definition when you do that, I accept God's laws like Roman law and can arbitrarily be changed. Therefore, God is a dictator. That's the heart of this whole problem. And that's what these days represent. One represents creator, designer, builder. Remember who made the heavens the earth. One represents a legislator, dictator who makes rules and must punish. I'm going to skip it down and I'm going to finish up maybe. This is um, Review and Herald, July 13, 1897. The time has come for the true light to shine in the moral darkness. The third angel's message has been sent forth to the world, warning men against receiving the mark of the beast or of his image in their foreheads or on their hands. Now get this, this is critical. To receive this mark means to come to the same decisions as the beast has done and to advocate the same ideas in direct opposition to the word of God. It is not simply about when you worship. It's about how you think about God, what ideas about him you advocate, what principles you hold, what things you believe in your mind about him. That's what it's really about. And these days can be used as signs or symbols of a dictator-type religion who just arbitrarily decides one day, or the designer who builds things to operate. They can be symbolic of that. But the bigger issue is if you've concluded that God is like this Roman emperor, regardless of which day you're on. So, presenting a God as a being who imposes law, must punish sin, requires appeasement, requires legal penalties to be paid, is part of the mark of the beast system, regardless of which day one worships upon. Sunday, being established upon the basis of imposed law, becomes a sign or insignia of the mark of those who practice such methods. So, Muslims who would kidnap and kill people who believe differently, who would gain governmental power and enforce Sharia law, but never worship on Sunday or still practicing the methods of the beast and will receive the mark of the beast. Seventh-day Adventists who worship on Sabbath but teach the Sabbath is an arbitrary test of obedience that God's law is imposed and God is an imperial dictator who must impose punishments will, like the Pharisees 2,000 years ago, oppose the kingdom of love and receive the mark of the beast. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much That you are like Jesus revealed. That your principles are never changing. That your character is the character of love. Your principles are truth. Your methods are freedom. We can see that there is a war waging in our minds and the minds of people on earth. Lord, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and love, to be poured out upon this earth. The latter rain might fall and power us to be effective witnesses to you to to take the final message of mercy the truth about your character love to the world open opportunities in churches around the world that this message can go forward and hold back the forces of evil who would want to shut down this truth lord because we really want to see you coming soon we pray in your holy name amen